Amen. God is good. Thankful for what I feel. If listening to somebody like Grace preach doesn't get you excited and make you want to preach, we have some incredible students. I am honored to be a part of this wonderful uh, institution. Uh, I love these students dearly. And uh, my wife and I are so privileged to be able to serve them. So our incredible leadership, thankful for you and for giving us this opportunity. Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, begin reading at verse 19. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Verse 19 says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And I want you to look at the first three words of chapter 4, verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. I want to look at these first few chapters of 1 Samuel today and talk to you about the making of a preacher. Hey Amen. I want you to lift your hands to heaven right now if you would. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I want His Spirit to minister to us. Offer up praise and thanksgiving to Him right now. Lord, we give You glory. God, meet with us, I pray. Speak through Your Word. God, we give You glory. We give You honor. We magnify You. You are great and greatly to be praised. We thank You, Jesus. We thank You, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Preaching and Preachers, made a statement that's been repeated over and over uh, many times since he penned the phrase and published his book. He said in his book, he said, Preachers are born, not made. Now, if Lloyd-Jones were here to hear me preach tonight, He's going to hear me contradict him, but I think when we're all said and done, we would be on the same page. I would tend to disagree. I believe pe preachers are not born. They are made. Yes, the prophet Jeremiah is proof that God calls people from the womb. Additionally, there is ample evidence in the scriptures that God ordains our paths and places within us certain gifts and Callings from the moment of natural birth and certainly from the moment of spiritual rebirth. And I believe that's probably why some say preachers are born, not made. However, I would venture to say that natural talent and abilities alone do not make one a preacher. One's lineage does not make one a preacher. I believe even having a call to preach does not make one a preacher. 
Because I've seen callings and potential scattered across this world's landscape, wasted in the frontiers of fame and fortune or shattered in the cesspools of sin and separation from God's presence and instead of what could have been often been exchanged for what their unconsecrated hearts wanted instead. What I believe is that to successfully fulfill the calling of a preacher, God must be given complete control because only God makes preachers. You can want to be a preacher, but you can't make yourself a preacher. Your family can talk about you like you're their little preacher, but your family can't make you a preacher. Your church can even recognize the gift and calling of a preacher on your life, but your church cannot make you a preacher. Only God makes preachers. Having a preacher parent, a grandparent doesn't guarantee preaching success. Only God makes preachers. Having a powerful pastor preacher in your life doesn't predict your preaching success because only God makes preachers. Truth is, God can make a preacher out of anyone no matter their past. None of the disciples came from a prophet preacher background. That prophetic baptizer at Jordan was the son of a priest, but God made him a preacher. That man on the downtown Jerusalem balcony with the convicting voice at Pentecost was a fisherman, but God made him a preacher. The spirit-led man who carried revival to Samaria was a waiter, but God made him a preacher. The scholar who confounded the philosophers on Mars Hill was a persecutor, but God made him a preacher. It's not having a long lineage of preachers that makes one a preacher. It's not the possessors of outstanding gifts that makes one a preacher. If you're going to fulfill the calling of a preacher, God's going to be given complete control because only God makes preachers. The first words we see written about the first act, action Samuel performed are found in the final verse of the first chapter of 1 Samuel when his mother Hannah gave away her young boy and dedicated him to the service of the Lord at the house of the Lord. And the last verse of chapter 1 says, And he worshipped the Lord there. This young boy dropped off by his mama. The Bible, the first thing it says about him, and he worshiped the Lord there. Before Samuel ever became a prophet preacher, he was a worshiper. And before we ever step into a powerful ministry, or before we ever step into a powerful preaching ministry of any kind, we ought to first learn to be worshipers. We've got to settle in our mind. I don't know what it's going to look like down the road and what he's really calling me to, but I'm not going to worry about that. I've got to be a worshiper. A worshiper. It, it happened every year. The Bible says it was year by year. Elkanah loaded up the caravan and he and his family made their way to Shiloh to sacrifice and worship the Lord. And there was Hannah, Elkanah's beloved but barren wife. She went along to join in the worship even though her heart was broken. You see, she had no children of her own and her, her womb was barren. And because of the priority placed on motherhood during that time, Hannah felt less than a woman. And certainly felt like she had no real purpose in life. But Hannah 
was a worshiper. She went every year to Shiloh with her husband and her fruitful rival, Penina, Elkanah's other wife who had borne him several children. And Hannah did her best joining the caravan, doing her best to hold her head up high, pretending she was okay. And she joined in the family worship and sacrifice because she loved the Lord and knew the Lord was worthy even when things weren't going well. The Bible even tells us that Penina, the other woman, provoked Hannah, made fun of her. She launched verbal jab after verbal jab right to the area of Hannah's life that hurt the worst. But even though she would be made to feel less than a woman and even though she was provoked by her counterpart because of her barrenness, Hannah didn't let being provoked steal her worship. She didn't let being made fun of and pushed and jabbed and make, make it steal her worship. And I believe she must have taught Samuel at a young age that when we go to the house of the Lord for worship, we do it because no matter what's going on in our life he's still worthy no matter what's happening around us he's still worthy if they don't understand me he's still worthy if I'm hurting he's still worthy <laughs> Hannah was a worshiper and after one particular visit to Shiloh she, Shiloh, she encountered the priest Eli who gave her a prophetic promise Hannah was going to have a child and Hannah vowed in her prayer, she said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. And that worshiper left Shiloh with the promise. And verse 20 of Samuel, 1 Samuel 1 says, And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. I want to let somebody know here tonight, there will always be a due time for worshipers. There'll always be a due time for worshipers. If you've made up in your mind you're going to worship him no matter what, there'll always be a time when God's promise comes to pass for you. There'll always be a time for conception and delivery. There'll always be a time for starting and finishing because God starts what finishes what he starts. But here we're getting to Samuel. We're getting to Samuel. The time came for Hannah to fulfill her vow. She brought Samuel to the temple there, presented him to Eli the priest. She said, Eli, here's the boy I prayed for. And here was Hannah's sacrifice of worship. It was bigger than the bulls or the goats, whatever they had brought before, years before. This was her biggest sacrifice. And Eli, God answered my prayer. And I give Samuel to the Lord. I give him to the ministry of the Lord all the days of his life. And then the final verse of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And he worshipped the Lord there. The worship of Hannah and Samuel was not shallow worship. The worship developed by this prophet preacher in the making was not surface relationship. God makes preachers out of worshipers. And when the Bible says Samuel worshipped the Lord there, Samuel actually served the Lord there. Samuel learned to worship through service, taking care of the house of the Lord, serving the man of God, caring for the people who came to the tabernacle. He got his hands dirty, concerned with the house of God, the things of God, the work of God. 
If you want to be used of God, if you want to step into the calling God has for you, you may envision yourself standing behind a pulpit, but before you ever stand behind a pulpit, there needs to be a service that gets a hold of your heart. I'll serve wherever you need me, Pastor. I'll do whatever needs done around the church. I'll serve wherever you need. I just want to be used of God. And here's Samuel at a very young age. God was making him. He wasn't yet a prophet preacher, but he was on the wheel and the potter was making him. And worship through service was where it all began. It was in worship through service where God was making him. And worship's got to be more than lip service, more than praising and singing and shouting and dancing. And I know that's how we often define worship most often. But instead, when we talk about worship, we ought to be talking about service. Service before and to the Lord should be the way we most define worship. Are you a worshiper? Am I a worshiper? Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service the ESV says it's your spiritual worship the NIV says it's your true and proper worship and the NLT said this is truly the way to worship him there's room for praise. There's room for lip service. There's room for praise you the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. And praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. There's room for praise. But there's room for worship, life service, a living sacrifice, pouring myself out for the work of God. Samuel learned to do this before he ever became a prophet preacher. Because he is, his life had been placed in God's hand and in God's complete control. Because in order to fulfill this calling of a preacher, God's got to be given complete control because only God makes preachers. Now Shiloh was not the ideal place. It had the appearance of a spiritual place. Tabernacle, priesthood, people doing spiritual worship. But it wasn't even close to a spiritual place. Corruption abounded at Shiloh. The leadership at Shiloh was highly questionable. Yet it was at Shiloh where Hannah received her promise of a miracle. And it was Shiloh where she decided to dedicate her sons. Verse chapter 1 verse 3 says at Shiloh the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were priests unto the Lord. The very next chapter describes it further. Chapter 2 verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The bad reputation of the Shiloh priesthood was known throughout all Israel. Everybody knew they were crooks. Everybody knew they were corrupt. Everybody knew they were sinful. Everybody knew in Israel what was going on at Shiloh. But hear me. This amazes me. It was at this place 
a place of corruption, a place of ungodliness that Hannah entrusted the care of her son. Why? Because it was in Shiloh where she got a promise of a miracle. It was in Shiloh where she got a word from God. And she wasn't about to not bring her son back and fulfill her vow. And I am saddened by the corruption that we've seen through the ages of time in Christian ministry and pre preachers and pastors. It is sad to see the corruption and the, and the, the bad and the integrity, lack of integrity as Sister Grace talked about. It's a sad thing to see that. It breaks my heart to see that. But I've also what breaks my heart even more is the people who get offended by those who made mistakes. I'm not excusing their mistakes. They shouldn't have made those mistakes. But I'm saddened by those mamas who say, well, I don't like the preacher, so I'm going to get my kids and we're going to go elsewhere. I don't like what's going on. I don't like the direction. I'm going to get my kids and go elsewhere. I don't like who they brought in as youth pastor. I'm going to get my kids and go elsewhere. But it was Hannah who said, that's where I got my promise and that's where I got my miracle and I'm going to give Samuel back to the Lord I'm going to put God in complete control man may fail and falter but God is in charge of the church and God can make preachers out of messes it doesn't take the perfect atmosphere to make a preacher. It doesn't take a masterful mentorship to make a preacher. God can make a preacher out of any mess, out of any background, out of any situation. Don't disqualify yourself. You might not have come from the best family. You might not have come from the best heritage or lineage. Don't disqualify yourself. God makes preachers, not mamas and daddies. God makes preachers, not churches. God makes preachers. Give God control. Talk about corruption. You got the priests sleeping with women. You got them taking portions of sacrifices people are bringing. Corruption. They were only supposed to have certain parts of the sacrifice that was brought. Not Hophni and Phineas. They weren't satisfied with what the Lord had allotted them. And not only did they take extra meat. They took the fat. They took the meat before the fat had been burned off. And the Bible tells us, 1 Samuel 2 tells us, that, that they took that fat. And, and we're told in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that the fat belonged to the Lord. So not only did they steal from their saints, they were stealing from the Lord. They not only took more than their portion, they took the Lord's portion. Greed's hard to tame, it, it always wants more. They got caught up in sacrificing for others and somehow failed to see their own need for sacrifice. And what happens when you only offer sacrifices for others that are not your own? Exactly what happened to these two men. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, The sin of these young men were very great. The men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They began treating the offering of the Lord with contempt, treating sacrifice with contempt, treating worship with 
contempt. To treat with contempt means to treat something or someone as unworthy of respect or attention. Contempt is feeling superior. It's a form of pride, and pride removes one from God's presence. They offered sacrifices for others. They spent their lives helping others know the Lord. But they themselves never took time to know the Lord. There's a warning in the lives of Hophni and Phinehas. We can get so caught up in ministry, serving other people, and it's our job, it's our privilege, and we do it. We do whatever we can to help other people get close to the Lord. We do whatever we can to help other people develop relationships with the Lord. But don't get so caught up and think sacrificing for others is where it ends for you. Because you've got to make sure you're sacrificing yourself. You've got to make sure you're giving yourself. We cannot preach sacrifice without modeling it ourselves. We can't preach worship without modeling it ourselves we can't preach praise without modeling it ourselves we can't preach service without modeling it ourselves in the midst of all this contempt verse 17 tells us they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt very next verse but Samuel ministered to the Lord in the midst of the corruption in the midst of the contempt, in the midst of the ministry around him saying, I'm too good to serve them. I'm too good to do that. I'm too good to sacrifice. I deserve all this myself. I've been serving for years. I deserve it all. In the midst of all that, we see Samuel ministering to the Lord. You see, the atmosphere doesn't make the preacher. God makes the preachers. The surroundings don't make the preacher. God makes preachers but Samuel ministered to the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas used their positions to take advantage of the people. They lost the respect of the people but verse 28 of chapter 2 says but Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with men. You see in order to fulfill the calling of a preacher God must be given complete control because only God makes preachers. Lord was making Samuel before he ever called Samuel. Without a call, you cannot be a preacher, but a call alone does not make you a preacher. When God called Samuel, we see Samuel's ministering unto the Lord, even though the surroundings weren't perfect. Samuel was ministering to the Lord, even though he didn't have the right kind of leadership being modeled before him. Samuel was ministering to the Lord, even though there was no revival happening around him. In fact, the Bible tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare. There was no frequent vision. The sad thing is if the word of the Lord's rare revelation is going to also be rare. The presence of the Lord cannot be rare in the life of a preacher. The word of the Lord cannot be rare in the life of the preacher. In fact, when we see this calling unfold in Samuel's life in chapter 3, at this point in time the word of the Lord was so rare that God speaking to Samuel caught both him and his pastor off guard. Neither one of them knew it was the Lord talking. That's a pretty sad state to get to. We can't hear God's voice. And when he's trying to talk to us and reach us, prick our hearts, we, we don't even know who it is talking to us. The Lord spoke and called Samuel at a time when he had been silent. Even when he seemed silent, keep listening because he desires to speak to someone who will listen. You might be wondering what's next and where do I go? What's my next step? What's God wanting me to do? He seems silent. 
Keep listening. Keep your ear attuned because he's looking for somebody to talk to. The call came during the night. The Bible says the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Sometimes the calling and the making involves dark times. Now this may be just referencing the, the time reference that it's just before dawn but there's, a, there's an odd reference to the lamp here and it has a metaphor, it's a very common metaphor in scripture and it's possible here that it's saying we're talking about the lamp and the, the fire is just about to go out but here's Samuel laying down by the fire and Samuel's on the scene so the scripture might be saying that there's, with Samuel there there's still a flicker of hope. There's still a chance, there's still an opportunity because God's forming and making some young man, some young woman in the midst of dark times. It might look like it's about, the lamp's about to go out. It might look like it's all about over. Oh, but with Samuel there, there's still a flicker of hope. The fact that God still has preachers willing to declare his word even in the midst of a dark hour means there's still hope. The fact that he's got some young man, some young woman that's still willing to stand up and preach hope means there's still a flicker of hope. It was at this time when God called and raised up a voice to preach the word to the Lord. Our world's in the same condition. But I believe God's raising up an army of believers and preachers who would declare thus saith the Lord. Samuel the third time, remember Eli told him, next time you hear the voice, it must be the Lord. Tell him, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. God was calling Samuel to become his prophet preacher at a time when Israel desperately needed someone to speak the word of the Lord. The day we live in right now, I'd love gas prices to come down, but we don't need gas prices to come down. I'd love to have more money in my retirement account, but I don't need more money in my retirement account. I'd love to have more of this and more of that and more restaurants built that I could visit because I'm tired of visiting the ones that I visit. I'd like to have more of this and more of that, but that's not really what we need. What we really need is for an army of preachers, an army of men and women who are sold out to the call of God, someone to stand up in the midst of the darkness and declare there's still hope. The Lord's coming soon. The trumpet's gonna sound. Get your hearts ready. Get your lives ready. The Lord is speaking. Hear the word of the Lord. just a few more minutes Samuel didn't come to Shiloh as a boy with a promise to be a preacher prophet Samuel didn't grow up with the plan to become this prophet preacher God prepared him from the beginning and was making him all along it was God who was making Samuel a prophet preacher while others were corrupting their own call Samuel was worshiping the Lord. While others were more interested in what they could get out of their ministry, Samuel just focused on ministering to the Lord. 
Sam, Hannah had placed her son's life completely in the Lord's control. But the time had to come for Samuel to decide for himself to let God have complete control. But only God makes preachers. Musicians can come. The end of chapter 3. You recall our text I read. Chapter 9, verse 19 says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. If you read through the books of First and Second Samuel, you will recognize it's God's presence with someone that makes the difference between success and failure. Thus we see only God makes preachers. And the end of verse 19 says, not only was the Lord with Samuel, he did let none of his words fall to the ground. That God would let none of his words fail means that he made sure everything Samuel said with divine authorization came true. Hear me tonight. Whenever Samuel opened his mouth and prophesied and preached under the anointing and favor of God, God with him, he could not fail. I know what we do, we worry. And what we do is not going to be enough. How can I stand before this congregation from week to week and give them the word of the Lord and expect the church to grow? I'm just afraid I can't do that on my own. We want to make sure we're going to succeed. We want to make sure we're a success. We, we don't want to think about failing. I've come to talk to some young man, young woman here today, but I've also come to speak to some pastor preacher. That you're facing some difficult times. And you're worried it's all going to fall apart at your feet. It's all going to end up in a mess. You're preaching your guts out. You're praying. You're seeking God. You're trying to find God's voice and God's word for that congregation. You're doing your very best, but the enemy is in your ear saying it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You can keep trying, but it's not going to work. And you're getting discouraged. You're getting more and more discouraged. I've come to tell somebody here today, you can have the confidence that when you stand under the anointing and power of the Holy Ghost, when you open up your mouth God will let none of your words fall to the ground Isaiah said so shall it be that word that comes forth out of my mouth it will not return void he will let none of your words fall to the ground that tells me number one God kept every one of his promises to Samuel when God spoke to Samuel gave him a promise to declare God kept his promise and God will keep his promise to you 
Not only did God keep his promises, but others could count on what Samuel said. If you let God anoint you and make you and position you and form you and shape you, others will trust what you say. And verse 20 says, And from all, all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that everybody knew Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. God established Samuel because God makes preachers. Don't chase down trying to kick doors open, trying to make opportunities happen. You let God make you. Don't get impatient with what God's doing. He's forming you and making you. And when it's the right time, all Israel will know. Young preacher, you want people to respect you. You want people to listen to you. You've got something to share. Let me tell you something. You just keep worshiping and serving. You just keep worshiping the Lord and serving in the church. And God will establish you when the time comes. Because only God makes preachers. Stand with me all around this congregation. Let God have complete control. With Samuel, no longer was the word of the Lord rare. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. As God continued to speak to Samuel through the years, God's word so captivated him that his word and Samuel's word became completely indistinguishable. That's the authority and weight this prophet preacher who was made by God. That's the weight his word carried. Samuel has made Samuel the prophet preacher. I'm here to encourage somebody tonight. Let God make you. Don't jump off the wheel. Let God form you. Let God shape you. It's the last thing I will share. The last night Jesus had alone with his close crew of, young, of men, his disciples, there in the upper room before his crucifixion. It was the last time alone with them that he could spend a little more time shaping them and making them for what was coming. The Lord Jesus did something that shocked them all. Went over to the side of the room where the servant had left the water of the towel. And he grabbed a towel and he grabbed a basin of water. And he approached Simon Peter, the bold, outspoken disciple. The one who would eventually say, I'll never deny you, Jesus. The one who would say, I'll go to battle for you. They'll have to, they'll have to come through me to get to you. I'll fight for you. I'll never run away from you. That. Jesus knelt down at Peter's feet, took that basin of water and was about to wash his feet. And Peter stood back and said, no, 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 Lord. You're not doing that. Peter's pride got the best of him. And it makes sense. I understand. I probably would have acted the same way if I was there. Not Jesus, not, not the Messiah, not the one who I just said was the son of the living God. Not, he's not washing my feet. I need to wash his feet. Peter took a step back and he said, no, no, Lord, I... You won't do that. And Jesus looked up with eyes of compassion. And he said, Peter, 
if you don't let me do to you what I need to do to you, you will have no part of me. If you don't let me do to you what I need to do to you, Peter, that sermon you're supposed to preach at Pentecost, you won't preach it. If you don't let me do to you, Peter, what I need to do to you, you will have no part in the kingdom. And Peter, old Peter melted. He said, oh Lord, then don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. Do whatever you gotta do to me. Do whatever you need to do to me. Break down my pride. Break down my pride. Do whatever you gotta wash me, Lord. Make me what you want me to be. Make me what I gotta be. I just wanna be used of you. I just wanna be used of you. I just want your will to be done in my life. Why don't somebody right now just lift up your hands to heaven? Would you call on the name of Jesus? Come on, somebody, just pray, Lord, make me whatever you got to do to me, Jesus. Make me, make me, mold me, shape me, make me.